discussion begins referring to the Rechazal. We know usually it's referred to as Kinas Soifrim. Um, we'd like to analyze the, the words of Chazal. What does it really mean? And to whom does it apply? We know the Gemara tells us Kinas Soifrim Tar It's commonly translated as jealousy between scholars increases wisdom. That is often understood as a reason to create competitive competition among learners, especially in schools. Let's look at the Gemara for a moment. The Gemara discusses a, a, uh, a village that has a Rebbe teaching the children. Along comes a new Rebbe. And this new Rebbe somehow or other is known to be superior and a better Rebbe than the one that is in place. The Gemara's Shaila is... Do we replace the Rebbe that's there now with the new Rebbe that's better? The Gemara gives two two uh, two, two two different uh, two ways to look at it. The first way the Gemara proposes is that we do not replace the first Rebbe. Why? Because if you would, then the second Rebbe who was just installed would feel so comfortable in his position that he may slack off a little bit because he has tenure, he's so comfortable there, he has nothing to worry about, he may not work as, as hard as he can. The Gemara then gives another, a, another tzad, and it says that perhaps, no, perhaps we should hire the second Rebbe. Why? Because kinas soifrim tar Because the second Rebbe, who is now installed, he's going to be looking over his shoulder all the time, because this Rebbe that was just taken out is going to be watching him, and recording every move that he makes and watching him very closely. So the new Rebbe that was just installed is going to really have to be on, the, on his tippy toes to be able to ward off any type of complaints or arguments from this Rebbe that was replaced or his followers. So therefore, is a reason perhaps to hire the second Rebbe. The Marsha explains that the, why is it that we're referring to Sofrim? Kinas Sofrim Tarbachachma. Who are these Sofrim? The Marsha explains that Sofrim are people that are one level below a Chacham. There are Chachamim who are even higher, and then there's under them that Sofrim. So you see, the Marsha tells us that for a Chacham already, the Gemara doesn't even propose that we use Kinas Sofrim. It's, it's a valid, it's okay for, for Sofrim. The question we're going to pose here is, what about for our students? The Gemara does not say kinah soifrim regarding students at all. Is it a motivational tool? Is it good? Is it healthy? Or is it unhealthy? I'd like to discuss that there are two types of competition. One we'll call healthy competition and one unhealthy competition. Let's look at what I feel, what I found to be healthy competition first. Healthy competition is used, is utilized to spark increased motivation in students and push them to put forth their best effort. When one student sees another student achieving, he will try to do the same. We're going to call this in a moment, we're going to call this emulation. The word here is we want people to emulate the other one. The Ramchal in uh, in Basil Sisharim in Parak Dalid quotes a Gemara in Baba Basra and Ayin uh, Hay. And he, the Gemara says, when we get to Gan Eden, when we get to in the next world, the Gemara says, Each person is going to see the chuppah that a Kaddish Baruch Hu constructs as a reward for his friend, and he's going to be singed by that. He's going to be upset, he's going to be hurt by it. 
Meaning, when, I, when we go to Olam Abba, we're going to see what my friend earned, and it's going to bother me. Because had I worked as hard as him, I could have earned the same reward that he earned. This is healthy competition. This is really emulation. Every individual is capable of earning such a reward, and my friend's success motivates me to try harder. Even if we were to apply Kinah Seifrim to students, we really have to understand what that Kinah is. What does it mean, Kinah? So Rav Weinberg, Rocha, tells us that it doesn't mean, it do, even if we were to apply it to a kid, it's talking about not jealousness, but zealousness. Like by Pinchas, he was Makana Kinas Hashem. When a student sees how proud and appreciative a Rebbe is of his Talmud, the other Talmudim will strive to get that same feeling, that emotion from the Rebbe, the same pride that the Rebbe has. The student will try to do the same. Unhealthy competition picks one or a specific number of winners to the exclusion of others. One person is going to win this contest, or two people win the contest, and everyone else does not win. That is... We're getting there. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. She said valedictorian. Thank you. Uh, so again, one person or a sp- any specific number. You, you know, you could have 18 people. Whatever it is, as long as some people win, and if they win, then other people can't win. That is not a healthy type of competition. And because one of the things it does is it creates a desire, we're going to talk about this more, for me to beat my friend. It's not that I have to achieve something, it's that I have to beat you. That's the goal. I'm not a winner unless I beat you. Why are, why are these unhealthy? Why is it wrong? So, I'd like to discuss a few sources for that. One of the things we said is that a specific number of people are chosen to win. Well, just if, if only a few people, if only one person is chosen to win a contest, if Dr. Sarutskin and I are in a brachas bee, if we're in the same class, I'm not going to try. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to try. He's in the class. Forget it. I was never at the top of my class. I never will be. And it's not going to motivate a guy in the middle of the class to win or, or to learn this material. I assume if we're having a brachas, we want everyone to master the brachas, the, 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 the hilchas brachas. But if it's one person chosen, it's not going to motivate most of the people. I'm going to give you a very interesting quote in a moment. Also, even perhaps more compelling is that we said this creates a desire or a need for me to beat my friend. We saw Salanter in Meris HaGdolim and in other places says that when the goal is for me to win the contest, I may use devious methods to ruin the prospects of my competitor. Rav Weinberg says it a little stronger. He says, if there's a contest, I can beat you. There are two ways I can beat you. I can either work very hard to beat you and really achieve. Or, he says, I can sabotage you so that you are worse than I am. And with competition, and I'm quoting this, you train children to be corrupt in their midos by encouraging them to degrade others and benefit from their downfall. Benefit from the downfall of their friends. So therefore, there are two ways to utilize competition. One brings out the best in every person, and one chas can bring out the worst. Lest you might think that our Talmudim are above this. Not the students in our school, right? They would never do anything wrong like that. Um, first of all, it was just brought to my attention. I don't get the Yated, but uh, there were, there's been a lot in the Chinuch Forum there about such things that have been happening. 
where people have been accused or have cheated to, to earn these prizes. I see it in a Mishnah. It's a Mishnah in Yuma, Perak Bay's Mishnah Bay's. There used to be, when the Beis HaMikdash was here, there was, uh, they, one of the first mitzvahs that the Kohanim did in the day was Trumas Adeshen. They would clean off the ashes from the Mizbeach. Which Kayin got to do it? They had to race up the ramp. And whichever Kayin got to the finish line, which is four Amos before the end of the ramp, he was the one that was chosen to do Trumas Adeshen that day. Well, Kachavi the Gemara tells us a story that one time there was one Kayin that was racing and <coughs> was trying as hard as he could. It didn't look like he was going to win. He pushed his friend off the ramp. He broke his leg. After that, they changed the rules. They stopped doing that ramp. They stopped doing that race. I'd like to say that the reason is because they realized this exact lesson. That this type of competition can bring out the the worst in us by trying, perhaps, one person may use these methods to ruin the chances of his friend winning so that he will win. Okay, where... I would la- I'm going to ask everyone here to think very hard after we leave here, while we're here, to apply this and to think about this. Where in our schools do we find such things? If we're looking for these types of competition in our school, where are they? Any type of B, a brachas B, a geography, a, um, a spelling B. Everyone stands up, one person's left at the win. At the end, he wins, everyone else loses. Another, uh, another time we find this is, is like the, the lady said before, at graduation. We find this a lot at graduation. Perhaps more at graduation than at any other time in school. We have a, uh, a valedictorian. Somebody who's chosen, to, who has the highest grade point average of the class, they are the winner. That is a competition, right? You're, you're competing the whole year. Who is going to have the highest grade point average? Also, we have other types of awards given out at graduation. The best in this, the best in Chomish, the best in Davi, the best in Chesed, and V'chulu V'chulu. One other place we find it um, is in summer camps, where we have, very often in many camps, you have the best in learning. The best person in learning is chosen every week or at the end of the month, whatever it is. The best, better than the rest. Permit me for a moment to focus on graduation because that is really what whet my appetite in this topic. The custom, as we said, is to, is to uh, pick a valedictorian. The person with the, the, the smartest kid, the best grade point average for either from 8th grade or 7th grade, however each school does it. I'd like to ask a question. I've been in Chinuch for 20 years. I've been in a few schools. It's, as far as I know, it's never acceptable to compare children. We, when we're giving back Chumash tests, we don't say, Rachel, you did the best. If we do, it's not, it's not smiled upon. We don't compare the children. Even as parents, we know. We don't compare our children. So why is it, all of a sudden, at graduation, this is okay? All of a sudden, when everybody gets stressed up, and they, you know, they, their bubbies and sadies are there, and they've been waiting for this time for so many years, all of a sudden, we do something that we would never do in school. And we try not to do at home. All of a sudden, it's okay at graduation. Also, to add to that, an issue I have with the valedictorian is, and I've been there and I have, I have done this, okay? You have a small graduating class. You have a couple of girls up there. You know, I've been in the menahal of small schools, basically. Uh, and it's happened where there's a couple of kids up there and the person who's the valedictorian, there's a person right next to that person who has a 99 average, maybe not 100 average, and that, lady, that girl or that young man goes home with nothing. 
Okay, the valedictorian one, he takes everything. And sometimes I've even, I've done it myself. You stand up there and you say, boy, was this hard. Was this a hard decision? The, you know, it was that close, but the valedictorian is this person. So, that, that makes it all the worse where you have to really consider the feelings of the person who is second. Or some, some schools have you know, two awards. So guess, if you have two, guess what? There's going to be a third person that was that close. That's valedictorian. Regarding the rest of the awards, again, the best in Chumash, the best in Navi, the best in Midos, the best in anything. We don't compare children. We should remember that. We don't do it in first grade. We try never to do it. We shouldn't do it at graduation either. That's my opinion. Also, again, when I, again coming from small schools, if you have ten children in the class and four of them get awards for this, that, and the other, or five or six of them, the rest of them, it really hurts a lot more when they go home with nothing. Really needs to be thought about very, very carefully. Over the years, I have I've shared the, these opinions with many people, trying to refine them and see where I'm wrong and try to you know, ask people for their opinions. And I've heard many arguments against what I'm saying. I'd like to share them with you. Number one is, if you have an award, you have a contest like this, it will motivate the students to try hard. We spoke about that already. Again, who does it motivate? Who are we trying to motivate? It may motivate student one, two, three in the class. But, again, to quote from Weinberg, the minute you say the best one or the one who learns the most, you've destroyed the learning of 99% of the children because they know they're not going to be prize winners. So you're not motivating anyone else. You're even, he says, they're destroying their learning by, by saying that what we're after here is the best. Some argue that, what do you mean, how could you not award somebody the valedictorian? They worked so hard all these years. We owe it to them. I would also suggest that we owe them a lot of things for their hard work. And, and, and academics is very important. But we don't owe them to be compared to someone else. That's not in our, in our, our language of Chinuch. That's not something we do. We owe them a wonderful letter to the Mesifta of their choice, the Besak of their choice. We owe them a prize. We owe them a beautiful report card. We don't owe them to say, you are better than the other person. There are Mesiftas, you know, um, I, I fill out a lot of applications for our 8th graders. And there are Mesiftas that ask for class rank. I leave it out. I don't know. We don't do it. Don't... Another argument I've heard is that it's going to happen to them later in life anyway. Their feelings are going to get hurt. They're going to be involved in such things later in life. Why not take care? Why not prepare them for it? They're in our building. Let's prepare them for such a uh, for such occurrence later on. I believe that Dr. Sartskin would agree with this as well. Please chime in if you don't. That that's not how we prepare children for negative experiences. We don't slap someone because now because they're going to get slapped later on. We don't make fun of them now because they're going to get made fun of later on. We're mechazik them. We build their self-confidence. We do whatever we can to be mechazik. We don't hurt them. We don't do something that we know is wrong because later on they're going to have that happen to them. The last of the arguments that I've heard is that this is very unpopular and uh, it's radical and I agree it is very unpopular this is the third I'm right now in my third school that I've made this change of the philosophy awards and competition and it's very unpopular the first two schools that I, the, that I was at they've already changed back I, I'm, I'm going to admit it 
And not only that, one of the schools, I, uh, my last year there, I was kind of halfway out the door, even before I left, as sometimes is the case with principals. And the, the school already went back to the old way. And Kodesh uh, Baruch laughing at me, I guess, who was the valedictorian pick that year? It was my daughter. <laughs> I let her accept the award. <laughs> if so, if, if what we're saying is correct, uh, why is it that everybody else, that so many other people are not buying into this? And how did it start? We heard before, for those who were here at the Shiloh and Shuas the other night, that you know our vacations are based on what we're learning from our surroundings, from the, the, from the non-Jewish surroundings around us. I would like to say that this whole valedictorian and graduation types of ceremonies and other awards has come from those sources as well, without us giving really enough thought to it. Also, probably more importantly, is it's a lot easier to run a brachas bee and a lot cheaper to run a brachas bee and give one kid, you know, a $75 set of mikroskodos klamashim and, and then that's it. You don't have to, the, what I'm going to suggest in a few moments is much harder and much more expensive. There's no question about it. So there is a reason to do this. It's a lot easier and it's a lot cheaper and it's what everybody else does. We aspire in our yeshivas for excellence. I don't want anyone to think that just because I'm taking away these types of awards that we're going to be settling for any type of mediocrity. That's not the case. Therefore, I feel obliged to not only take away what we're doing, but also try to put some things back on the table, some ideas of what we can do. I don't have enough ideas. I have some ideas. But that's why I'm here. There's a, a, lot, of, a lot of talent in this room. And uh, whether it's now or after the session or sometime over the weekend or at any other time, I'm looking for more ideas. However, some ideas. Instead of the brachas be, instead of the school-wide competitions, have a program or a competition in which any student that reaches the level can win. Period. Not based on me beating you. But anyone that gets a 90 on the brachas be gets this. Anyone gets an 85 on the brachas be gets that. And therefore, I'm going to try to emulate the other people. Little Yankel is going to try to emulate his friend who's getting a 90. Not try to beat him. They'll study together instead of stealing each other's notes. I would go so far as to say that even if, and when you do a program like this, it can be individualized. I then can walk up to a child who's weak or who's going through a very hard time at home and I can say, everyone else has to get a 90, you have to get a 70. If you get a 70, I'll give you the prize. You can't do that if, if you're dealing with someone who has to win the contest. But this way it can be individualized to any Talmud and therefore we can try to get every single person motivated by whatever competition or whatever program we are trying to have. The camps, what do we do in camps? The, uh, the answer, I believe, is uh, that instead of having the best learner of the week, we have fabulous learner of the week. Again, whoever, you make a checklist, whoever came on time, whoever learned well, whoever didn't uh, you know, bother the kid next to him, whoever knows the Gemara, they are a fabulous learner. I would like to say that we do have with us <laughs> Rabbi Lapidus from uh, Baltimore, who is the head of learning uh, in Camp Bunham. And um, after the article, he changed what they do in, in Camp Bunham. That's the only change I heard after the article. So I'm very proud of it. And he, uh, you speak to him afterwards. He, was, he said he and his rabbi were very, very happy with this change. It worked very, very well. Looking at the graduation. Looking at graduation. Instead of a dean's list. 
Okay. Instead of a dean's, uh, and sorry, instead of the valedictorian, you have a dean's list. Now, what is that dean's list that can take uh, that can take different forms? I would like to discuss. It can be purely academic. But that, I would say, is only for certain schools that are really meeting the needs of every child very well, and every child can get 100. I don't want to focus on that right now. I'd like to focus, if anyone would like, I could discuss that afterwards. But a dean's list could be where you, you pick the, a list of children, of students, that are shining examples of, of who our school is. And even if they're not an A+, a kid who tries really hard and does his homework and has a, a nice attitude towards school and, and, and acts with chesed toward, towards his friends and is a good kid and, and you know, acts becovedic to the teachers, that's a great kid. That's what we're proud of. That child can be on the dean's list instead of a valedictorian. Therefore, again, one child's successes don't prevent someone else. They encourage better and they encourage emulation. Instead of the best in chesed, you can have, again, you can have a chesed list. Anyone, anyone that did 60 hours of chesed throughout the year is on the chesed list. These things are, are distributed. They're posted at the graduation. Kids get a lot of COVID. You announce them. The, you know, uh, you can have it posted in different places on the, on the program of the graduation. You give them the, the, the COVID that they deserve, but you are not comparing them one to the other. A, a very positive practice that glorified many of the graduations that I've been at, and I know many other schools do this as well, is where you make up a speech about each student. The speech is a one or two minute speech. It's a, about his or her unique accomplishments, talents, and character traits. You really tell everyone who this kid is. It's very hard to do, and it has to be done very, very carefully. Uh, you have to get a lot of input from parents, from kids, from uh, teachers, from community members. You have to get all the facts about the students, and you really got to make sure that you write these well, because the parents are listening very, very carefully, and even comparing how long the speeches are compared to the others. But if done well, this is a beautiful thing. However, it's probably only practical for small schools. If you have 100 graduates or 50 graduates, it's probably not practical. Um, and again, in those speeches, you do not, you do not say Yankel is the best in Chumash. You say Yankel is Gavaldik at Navi. He comes on time to davening. He hits a ball over the fence. He works at the Jewish home after school. And you can just paint a picture of the child instead of saying he's the best in one area. These are but a few suggestions to stimulate your creativity. Really, we are all capable of, of creating other methods. Again, these competitions that we have in our school are often there because they are the easiest for the teachers and for the administrators, I'm not uh, pulling myself out of this, to apply. Better ways can be thought of to give the appropriate recognition to our students. I'd love to really hear from all of you to help us with this. Again, these are things that, that touched my heart and what I really hope, even if you don't agree with my radical views on some of these, uh, I really hope that you at least seriously consider any competitive programs that we have in our school and weigh the pros and the cons of that competition and consider its impact not only on the one, two, and three, uh, the, the, the highest level children, but on all the students in your school. It's my hope that the Menalim and the Mechanchim and the parents will consider these points and really rethink these issues. I'd like to challenge the status quo and only continue those competitions that we know and we've ascertained are beneficial for the Talmidim. 
Thank you very much. Uh, again, I would like to uh, offer my help to any of you in your schools that would like to change. I'm there, and I would very much like to help in any way. I think now we're going to give the floor over to Dr. Sorotskin. I was one minute over. I'm good. And now Dr. Sorotskin will be speaking about... We'll have to be competitive, see if I can even do better than you on that. Uh, first of all, before I start, I just wanted to add to what Mordechai said. I just heard from Rabbi Hill Mandel, just shared with me something beautiful from Rabbi Tisseo Salman, that we shouldn't sacrifice midos on the altar of knowledge. So that's really just what you said. All right, so thank you, Rabbi Mordechai, for your very thoughtful and enlightening presentation. I'd like to share with you a story that explains my motivation for speaking on this subject of the proliferation of contests and rewards in our Moise Sachinach. Recently, the father of a sixth grader, a regular Bacher and a regular yeshiva, he was telling me this, he was sitting on a long Shabbos afternoon, his son was bored, so he tells his son, how about we shechaz over the Hilchas Brachas we learned a few weeks ago? His son turns around and looks at him as if he just suggested the chayis to go out eat mud. Or like they say in Yiddish, he looks at me and says, whatever for? We already finished that contest. Like what other reason in the world could you possibly learn Hilchas Brachas unless you're having a contest? Many parents have told me that if they're learning, for instance, a father is learning Chumash with his son, and the father wants to elaborate a little bit on the Chumash, why Rashi says this, or Rashi somewhere else, the son says, we don't need, we're not having that on the test. Like, what are you thinking? They'll have those saying of parents doing history with the kid and, 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 and the, the, the parent wants to explain something a little deeper. No, we're not going to have that on the test. Like, what would be the point of studying it? I've heard from parents of Dafka, the better behaved children or the more excelling students, that, especially the younger children, the kid will cry, he doesn't want to go to school. What's the matter? He always loves school. What's the problem? Shimmy has more points than me now. Does that maizum b'chol yoyim? I think these common scenarios should concern all of us, both as parents and as mechanchim. In recent years, the use of rewards in our maizas have increased dramatically. I think many classes have such elaborate point systems that you need a PhD in economics to push and figure it out and to implement it. And this is all intended to be used as incentives to get children to learn, to study, and to behave. The underlying feeling and attitude and beliefs for this addiction for prizes is that anything that gets a child to behave properly, to do what we want him to do, is only good. There is no downside. In fact, you can say on it, In the worst case scenario, now one thought is given to the question, are any tyrannical values being internalized? And are the behaviors that we are inducing, are they going to really affect him in his future life? And if you think I'm exaggerating, let me tell you the story that happened last summer. I was in Eretz Yisrael, and I had the tremendous chus to discuss this subject with Ramilchi Yehuda Lefkowitz Shlita. And he, and he told me he's very stark against competition, he's against prizes, he's against Talmud HaShavua, and so on. On the way back, there was a mechanic who stopped me, asked me if I happened to be going to Yerushalayim, I gave him a ride, and I told him what Ramilchi Yehuda told me, and he was totally blown away. He said, it's impossible, he doesn't believe it, it's a dover pashid that incentives works. And he knows from his own personal experience, but the Dihabi tells me when I was a teenager, I smoked. It, worried, it bothered my father tremendously. He offered me five hundred dollars if I don't smoke for six months, and it worked. So you see, the incentives work. Now I, I understood as a dove pushed If he means it worked, it means he stopped smoking. But just to be on the safe side, I had to figure I'll check with him. I said, "You mean you stopped smoking?" He goes, "No, I started smoking after six months." I said, so "What do you mean it worked? It worked." He told me, "I'll give me five hundred dollars if I don't smoke for six months." And attack it worked. That might sound funny, but I must tell you, this is a very common attitude. 
Now, of course, many other parents in Mechanchem do concern themselves if there is an internalization of values. They do think about it. But they assume it happens automatically. Right? And this seems to be supported by Chazal. I hear this all the time. Chazal tells me, The intrinsic motivation seems to come automatically. The famous right? That, that our hearts follow our actions. And the assumption is that this is a law of nature. You know, it's like if you take a ball and you, and you leave go of it, you don't have to worry, is it going to hit the floor? It's going to hit the floor. That's where Benjamin put it in the Teva. That's how many people understand. You get the child to do the right thing, and that's it. You can set back and just let nature take its course. It's going to become internalized. And this is a chayra. If it wasn't for this, nobody, you know, this is a very common punishment. If a child misbehaves in school, it's a common, I don't know if it still is, I hope it's not, but from what I read in the Yated over there, it seems to still be happening. I thought this went out with the Stone Ages. But when you punish a child to write, to copy over a parak and misosu sharm appropriate to what he did. Now, of course, the child is fuming, he's being punished, but somehow, if we just wanted to make his life miserable, you can have him copy over something from Sports Illustrated. Why you make, or from the, copy the phone book. Why is it, why are you having him copy something from misosu sharm? Because you think that while he's sitting there fuming that he's being punished, he's going to internalize the values of misosu sharm. Exactly how that's supposed to happen is mind-boggling, I don't know. But let's see what Chazal say. Chazal t- tell us, or what our Gdailim have told us. Rav Chaim Friedlander's a tzal, and the Sif Sechaim tells us, he brings down the Chinuch, he says, yeah, the Tak of the Chinuch taught, taught us that the external behavior influences our premiers. But he says, he says it clear as day. It's borrower pashit. It's simple and obvious that if a person does not identify with the values that are associated with his behavior, there's no way in the world it could have any influence on his premiums whatsoever. The Mikhsam Leo also says from Rasim Chazisal, he brings down the Maimur of the we constantly talk about the Taish Shalayli Shma Bali Shma, Avotayim Bepirushai. We misunderstand it. Loya Shalayli Shma Mevi Asali Shma, Elena Kudus Hali Shma, Rakeches as Prinas Hashalayli Shma. The Desir says in countless places in the Mikhsam Leo, not like we think that Layli Shma is neutral, it's poison. It, the thing is, if you have a little, you have to have some lishma to begin with. If you have some lishma, then that lishma can protect you from the damaging effects of the lay lishma, and the lishma can flourish. The the famous mechanic from Yerushalayim, Ramesh Goldstein, the Rosh Hashiva of Shari Yasher, has recently said recently, he was in a Jewish observer, that defining the success of Chinuch by external behavior is one of the most widespread errors in the field of Chinuch. I think it is the most widespread error. When I told Remichel Yehuda that, that when I say over to Mechanchim a mice of a, of a parent using blackmail to get a child to do, to do, to learn, an hour a kid who dropped out at Yeshiva, and that people think that this can become Lishma, he told me anybody, anybody who thinks this doesn't understand very much about Chinuch. He said a little sharper, but the fake covered, I, I was told not to say it that way. Now, I have here a handout that you can have afterwards, one of a few handouts. One of them has, I bring down from many, many G'dayim of past and present generations who are very stark against competition and against rewards. One, just one example of Chaim Kanievsky quoting, quoting his father, the stipler. Not to give prizes to children. 
Now, I'm not necessarily advocating to ban all prizes and all contests. It may not always be practical, and there might be other reasons why sometimes it's necessary. I think, though, to make an intelligent decision, one has to be weigh the schorik and negative seida and seida and negative You have to see the upside and the downside. If you're only aware of the upside, then you can't make an intelligent decision. And I think in today's day and age, I think there's a total absence of, of, of thought by many people in many places about the downside of the use of rewards. Now, I first became troubled, I'm interested in this topic as a parent and a grandparent. I was very troubled with how this, our system discourages learning for its own sake. Of course, I felt helpless to change a well-entrenched system, so I just tried to minimize its impact on my own family. But then I became increasingly aware as a therapist of the devastating negative psychological consequences of the atmosphere created by the proliferation of contests and rewards. And I realized that really is no reason why the Rebbeim and the Moras and the teachers should be aware of it. Because usually the devastating consequences happens down the road. And, very, and the type of kids who get caught up in the contest are usually not the ones who are going to go tell the Rebbe who thinks so highly of them of all the trouble they are in now. One of the reasons this has motivated me to speak out on this issue. Emotionally vulnerable Tamidim. And it's not the ones that we know to be. Usually the ones that are most emotionally vulnerable are not the tzeklap, the tzebrach, and the tamidim that we know about. It's very often the most highly functioning ones who are the most vulnerable. Because they are the ones who are most attracted to all the unhealthy elements of competition and prizes. They get caught up in a frenzy of chitzainius. Somebody who has pervasive feelings of low self-esteem and therefore becomes dependent on what I term other esteem, where you live to impress somebody else, there's nothing happening inside, it's all coming through the outside. This is a made-to-order recipe to create a hunger for prizes and praise for chitzenius. The superficiality, the chitzenius, that we actively promote by the lowly shema of rewards and contests can result in what I've seen this so often in my office, a bacher who seems to everybody to be the most successful, who emotionally feels completely empty, depleted, no pedimius. I recently saw such a bacher, very, very bright, he used to be the top in his class and out of town somewhere. He completely lost interest in learning, because he was, somebody beat him by one point, right? It's, you know, figuratively speaking, in yeshiva, he was really a young man at this point, and he lost interest in life itself. He told me there wasn't a pride, there wasn't a contest in his school that he didn't win. There wasn't a point that he didn't get the most. And he says he dreaded every new contest that came out because he, he had incredible pressure because his Ikhiyusai was to be better than the other ones like Mordechai and Mordechai spoke before. Now this Bachar, I guarantee you, if you speak to his Talmud, his Rebbeim in, in, in elementary school and, and the Sifta, he would be the poster child for it works that incentives and prizes works. He would be the poster child for it. And the kid, he is mamish, practically suicidal now. Now, of course, comp- the competitions in the yeshiva did not create his problem. He was vulnerable for reasons have to do with his home life. Again, not obvious. He comes from a very chashva home, but other things that go on there below the surface. But this certainly exacerbated the problem tremendously. Another very scary story. A teacher in a mainstream yeshiva in Brooklyn told me that he very often asked his students, if they had, were forced to make a choice between being successful or appearing as successful to others, it had, if it had to be one or the other, the vast majority of them would choose to appear successful to others. I think we have a hand in this. In this. Now, the atmosphere of kinan chitzainius that we actively promote by competition and contest has some negative devastating psychological consequences that nobody would ever, at first glance, or probably at second glance, 
connect to the problem of, of competitiveness and the atmosphere that is created. Let me just give you one example very briefly. I can't talk about it by riches for many reasons, but I just want to show you how vite the problem goes. Bachrim, who have pervasive feelings of inferiority, often drive themselves obsessively and perfectionistically to be seen as superior. Rav Dessler says in Chayla that if a, a, uh, that the underlying root cause of gaiva is inferiority complex. Now, especially if somebody is bright and talented and can try to pull it off, right? So they will push themselves to be the last ones to shut the lights on the base medrash and to daven the longest shmanesra and so on. But what happens if there's another bacher who has things that they don't have? What if he's more popular? What if he's more outgoing? And worst of all, if he's better looking. Now, because you can always try to strive to become more popular and to be more outgoing, but you're probably not going to become better looking than you are in most cases, right? Now, you might be surprised that a bachar who seems to be Isaac and Tyran Avaida all day should worry himself about such things. But we have to remember, if this Tyran Avaida's chitzainius itself is also chitzainius, why should we be so surprised that this is what he's concerned about? This happens very often with Shaduchim, some of the older singles. This is very, the one, if they're honest with you, they most often won't tell you that this is the cherish of the problem. No girl is pretty enough for them. And you're also shocked because some of these Bakrims seem to be learning all day. Like, why are they so concerned about it? Because their learning is also Chatzainias. Now, what often happens with these boys, they will react with an intense need to merge with that Bakr symbolically merge with the Bacher who has the Milas that they feel they're missing in themselves to magically gain that quality. And this obsession can become sexualized as the same gender attraction. Right? And this very often the source of that problem, as we know, unfortunately exists more than we would like to believe. Now, of course, those are psychological things. There are obvious negative chinuch consequences, which Mordechai spoke about. But I just, I was having the thought, as he was, t- was talking about this, the theme of this weekend is raising ma'aminim. But what schayr are we selling that we want them to be maminim in? Do we want them to be maminim in gaiva, in mishabe bekolu chaveiroi, chemdes hamamin? What is it we're asking them to be maminim in? What are we selling? Besides that, when you give prizes, the message you give, you know, if you were running a business and you wanted to hire a work, and you wanted somebody to work for you, it would be obvious that you have to give him a salary. He's not going to work for nothing, because that's why he's working, for the salary. When you give somebody a prize, that's the message you're giving him, that you have no other reason, there's no other reason why you should do it other than the prize. There's been a tremendous amount of research that backs this up, that the more prizes you give, the more likely, the less likely, you reduce the likelihood of the child developing intrinsic motivation. Somebody told me that he saw in a safer, a mice, he thinks it's with a tzitesa, Frank, that uh, he was walking in the streets of Yerushalayim, uh, an Arab comes and starts shepping him and yelling at him so he puts his hand in his pocket, pulls out a coin, he says, here, I want to pay you for yelling, yelling at me, please yell at me so he yells at him does it a second time, a third time the fourth time he puts his hand in his pocket he comes out empty handed he says, oh gee, I'm, I'm, I'm all out of money, but please keep on yelling at me so you think, I'm crazy, I'll do it for nothing? <laughs> this is what we do there's a tremendous amount of research. I have that also in one of the other one of the handouts. There's a summary of the research on this in this area, from especially by Ryan and Decky, two of the famous researchers in this area. One of their studies: if you most children enjoy doing puzzles, they show if you give a child, you pay him to do, you give him a prize for doing a puzzle, for doing puzzles, and then a few weeks later you give him an opportunity to play with puzzles again. The ones you give rewards to are less are going to spend less time with playing with puzzles. 
than they did originally before you started giving them the reward. By giving the child a prize, you're dying, you're making it, that, that he'll be less likely to have an intrinsic motivation for it. The, the, for what, again, even if you can't get rid of it completely, but what you should get out of this is give the minimum amount. The more you give, the less the child thinks in his mind that he's doing it for the thing itself. Right? The more of an extrinsic motivation you give. So even if you have to give prizes, you always try to give the minimum amount. I said, there was a tremendous article from, in, it's actually not an article, it's actually, the, the article actually was not written pro- correctly, but in the Sefer itself, from, from Rabbi Tisho Salman, one of the later ones that came out, and I heard the, the original tape, unbelievable you say, he said, Mamish, you, you say that you say this, the point of giving something to a child is not an incentive. That's what Kimar everybody believes. You give things to children as an incentive. No, he brings a riot from a zayar that, that, that uh, what a child learns for an incentive, for the price he's going to get, there is no way in the world that could ever become lishma. It's impossible. That won't come lishma. Once he has the reward and he's happy, so the learning he does while he's in the matzah of simcha, that could become lishma. So you might say, what's enough? It's not a shayla of mitzvah, is kavanah or not. You give the kid a cookie, what's the difference what your kavanah is? No, because the nafkamina is when do you give it? The way it's done commonly in all the schools and by all parents is you give you try to hold off giving the prize as long as possible. You want to get the most bang for your buck. Right? You squeeze out a few more Mishnayas for the lollipop he's going to get or the, to the prize. He said, but Matisha said, no, give it as early as possible because you're giving it in order to make him happy, not to give him an incentive. So once he's, and once he's happy, that learning that he does while he's happy, that could become Lishma. Rav Desser says when he was a, a young boy, his, his, his father and his uncle used to get up very early in the morning to learn and he would sometimes also get up to learn and his mother would give him hot chocolate. It doesn't say anywhere there that his mother said, oh, if you get up, you'll get hot chocolate. No, he got up because he wanted to get up. His mother made a geschmack, so of course that probably motivated him to do it more. But it wasn't done to get him to do what you want him to do. You know, when parents tell me that, say, they have problems with a child, and the different things they try to do in order to alleviate the problem. So how do, how do parents and teachers describe what they do when they give a child something to get him to do what they want him to do? What's the expression we use? I even tried to bribe him. I find it very instructive to explain the underlying dynamics. Who do you try to bribe? When you, when you try to get somebody to do what he's supposed to do, you try to bribe him? You bribe somebody, you, you want them to do something illegal for your benefit, then you give them a bribe. Why are we using that expression on children? It's Mavul al We're bribing him because you know why? Because that's really the truth. Because we want him to sit quietly in class so we should have an easier life. So we're bribing him. He knows that's exactly what you're doing. So even if it works, if he's working because he's doing it to, just for the money. Now, if you use... If you give it as a recognition of effort, you give it as a... If you tell a child, if a child has... A, let's say a child's frustrated, he's not doing well in school. Let's say he is frustrated, not you're frustrated, he's frustrated. And you tell him, listen, I feel bad for you. After a long day at school, you have to come home and do homework. Of course you don't want to do it. You've been in school for the last eight hours. But you're also frustrated that you're not doing well in, in, in school. You know what? Will it make it easier for you if every time you sit and do this, I'll give you that? Will that make it easier for you to achieve what you want to achieve? That could sometimes work. Okay, now, how do we motivate, how do we motivate without competition and prizes? I think it's on the next, maybe on the next slide, yeah. How do we motivate it without competition and, and prizes? Rav Chaim Friedlander in his Musil's Chaim Bechinuch, he says, Hatafkit shilonu litzor rotson eitzel ha-talmid, v'dover ze yasser rakim neida likshok kshorem nafshimim talmideinu, hakein alamelamid litzor bekitasay avira neicha avira simcha upapisachas leiv. Somebody also got a... Um, 
Rabbi Storch gave a presentation today, very interesting, about using, you know, the, the classroom management, using the relationship with the Talmud, right? Chaim Friedlander has a whole parak about how to motivate a child. He doesn't say one word about Prizla. I look through the whole chapter. I'm saying, I want to see what he says about Prizla. I figure he's going to say it here. doesn't say a word about it. You, you, you develop a relationship with the child. You create an atmosphere in the, in the classroom that opens the child's heart. doesn't say a word about prizes. Also, uh, Professor Chaim Foyerman, who's spoken in these, in these conventions before, he told me about his Chut HaMeshulish theory. He said, if students relate to their teachers in these, three, in these three positive ways, they tend to learn from them and adopt their values. Respect them, like them, and identify with them. He discusses how to do it, but the most important thing to know is you can do it without prizes. It's doable. It, 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 it's more difficult, but it's longer lasting. I saw Rav Shach brings down one second, we questions it then, I'm almost finished. Rav Shach uh, brings always from his quotes from his uncle, Rav Zalman, that the first job of a Rebbe is to get the children to like you. Of course, it doesn't mean get them to like you by giving them extra recess and things like that, and the more you say this dick away. In conclusion, I hope I succeed in raising your consciousness about the possible hazards of the overuse of prizes and other extrinsic motivators. And and as a result, hopefully you'll be better equipped to evaluate when and how to use prizes in contests while minimizing the risks involved in order to bring meaningful atzlacha to your Avedis HaKadosh. Thank you.